<laughs> we both do that very well. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm Vic, along with Skunk Manhattan. And today on the podcast, we have Mr. Nathan Rule. Hey, Nathan, thanks for joining. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Now, Nathan, your your title, you would say you are a sound sound design sound designer? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say I'm a sound designer. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a studio builder. I'm a studio owner. But yeah, I'd say the overarching thing is I'm a sound designer. That's kind of where you started in that. Now, I was kind of looking over this and just reading over like the definitions in the way that I guess uh, in fairly recent history, of course, film, you know, is fairly recent history and even audio recordings for that matter, like, you know, just barely over a century old, you know, for the most yeah. part. So, you know, used to be called this and that, and then it kind of found it's uh, this encompassing title, but you do a lot of things. You're, you're remixing, you're, um, you're doing a lot of post, it's primarily what you do, like post-production stuff. Yeah, yeah. We do kind of like start to finish post-production for sound, uh, sound for movies. So it would be uh, ADR recording, all the different kinds of audio editing, dialogue editing, sound effects editing. Uh, we do Foley here. So we have an in-house Foley artist. Um, and then we do uh, mixing. So, you know, we have uh, three mixed stages here. Big theatrical stage. We're actually in the process of doing a big upgrade on to Dolby Atmos theatrical, which is like 28 surround speakers, full range surround Good speakers. God. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, so yeah, so that, that's kind of the main thing I do, but I, you know, my background before this is like, I started out in theater and, uh, kind of studied production and studied audio production is in, is, uh, in college. And then I, um, and actually I worked in theater I, I was in St. Louis for many years. I grew up, I grew up kind of out in rural Illinois. I grew up, I actually was a farm kid um, and then got into theater and then through theater, went to school, studied theater and production, and then um, did theater for many years, lived in St. Louis and then, uh, and also did music stuff, you know, did the kind of like garage band thing. And then, um, yeah, kind of like very specifically, I was like, ah, I think I think sound for movies seems cool. And so I specifically came out to L.A. and got a graduate degree at uh, CalArts, which is the school that Walt Disney started. You know, it's where the Pixar guys came from is probably most well known, but mm -hmm. also a lot of really hip music stuff going on there. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's how I kind of got into it. So it was like kind of a, you know, it was kind of a hybrid of. Mute, in, being interested in recording music and playing music and interested in sound in that way and the kind of tech technology of it, you know, st I started out like a lot of kids, like in a four track, you know, and was interested in that kind of, and just kind of and got into theater and it was like, Oh, this mm -hmm. is cool. I can kind of use some of these skills in theater and then did that for many years. And then, you know, transitioned into film, which is kind of the in way most technical and also kind of most creative, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, when you say theater, like, like in what capacity acting in theater or. Oh, so I, I, um, I studied theater as an undergrad, but I actually did sound for theater. So, okay. um, was professional. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. Cause you don't think about it as much as you think about an emotion picture, like describe what you're actually doing in yeah. live context of a, of a play, I suppose. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny the, how things have changed so much. Like. When I was doing this, now this has probably been 15 years ago, and that was when 
you know, and I'm like, I'm 43. So, you know, the big thing in college was like, oh, we could burn CDs. So it, yeah. it, <laughs> when I was first doing theater, this would have been in like, you know, early 2000s, you know, right. you would go and, you know, you basically, you know, if there was some sound effects or sound design you would do for a theater show, maybe some ambient sound. Um, you know, I worked for a uh, I worked for a company that's somewhat well-known in St. Louis called the St. Louis Black Rep, which is an African-American repertory theater company. And I was like an in-house uh, sound person for them. And so, mm. you know, they would do like uh, the the the, the uh, Hamlet. And so, you know, you would have ambient sound and in, in the forest, you'd try to create a kind of vibe and try to create a feeling much of what I do now in movies all the time. And then there would be an element of kind of, you know, either there would be a composer or sometimes you just have to pull together sound songs from, you know, things you could find. In some cases, we would just, you know, have to kind of build a soundtrack out of needle drop stuff. And then we'd have to burn it all onto a CD and then you'd have to try to you know right. play right at right. the right time. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was kind of what it was like early on. And then, you know, when I was in, when I was in uh, grad school, my, Cal Arts is interesting because the sound design program there, it's, it's part, it's in the theater school. So you can kind of do film and theater and music. You can kind of choose whatever you want to do. It's super small. And then there I kind of learned now it's really sophisticated and there's like, you know, there's software called QLab and you can build out these elaborate timelines with all these cues that follow each other. And, you know, so then you're going into this kind of world where it's almost like, you know, if a film is completely time based where you're on a timeline in this kind of working with sound and theater, it's like you're building little mini timelines that are basically getting triggered at certain points, but all mm -hmm. kinds of elements can be interrelated. There can be video involved in it now, which was a big thing when I was there. Um, but you know, you can even set up like really elaborate cues that have sensors or can be triggered by specific, um, you know, buttons that actors can control. There's all kinds of cool stuff that you can do with that. So, you know, I got, I got a little bit of exposure to that. And actually at CalArts, there were a lot of people, a lot of people that are on that track, they go into the theme park world, um, which is like a kind of really interesting version of that, like programming mm -hmm. sound effects for roller coasters at Disneyland, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and then there were a lot of kids there that go off and like work at Cirque du Soleil, which if you've ever seen one of those shows is like, you know, so sophisticated, so integrating video and and sound and you know if you ever see like the show Ka at Vegas it's like there's surround speakers in the seats so you're getting like your oh. own personal surround mix so you know and all that stuff runs in its own this totally crazy like hardware software system that's more or less designed for Cirque du Soleil and you know wow. it's all custom and so it's interesting because that whole world actually gets super sophisticated and actually kind of crosses over into a lot of what we do in film. It, it, it's different, but it, but it's, you know, it's still operating in, in the same kind of space to some degree. Yeah. It's so interesting, man, you know, like uh, to kind of just talking about your traje trajectory when you started out and just in sound or playing music and what theater, whatever the case was, 
I mean, we, we don't have to go back that far. We go back 30 years and we're in tape land, right? And, <laughs> I know, right? And the digital world was a very, very new thing. And, <laughs> yeah. and whatever was cutting edge was DAT tapes and right. tools, you know, well, so it's interesting like, tracks or something. It's interesting. Like my, so I, so when I was in high school, so that would be in the late nineties and like kind of doing the garage band thing, playing in bands. One of my best friends, who was an only child, so his parents always bought him everything. They bought him a Roland uh, Porta Studio, digital Porta Studio, which was basically oh, things, like, yeah, it was crazy. It was like that a, was a oh yeah. Do you I remember can't imagine that? how much that cost back then. Oh, I remember yeah. in the early two thousands, a guy I, I, I had a uh, was living in like a rehearsal space shared with some different guys. And we all play, and he bought one of those Roland twenty four tray, and it was just like. I had still been using a freaking Fostax tape recorder, yeah, all yeah, back, yeah. You know, in two thousand, yeah. And yeah. I remember when I first saw ADAT, so I was like, "Whoa, cool!" <laughs> right. But this right. guy, I mean, that's what he got, and I was just like, "Holy cow!" So, yeah, I mean, that thing must have cost six grand plus back then. Yeah, yeah. Know, it was man, like a it, lot. this. This was like a. I think this one was a four. It was essentially a four track. Recorder. Oh, okay. I know which one. Yeah, it was the original one. Roland uh, Digital Porta Studio. It had, wow, I think it had okay. four tracks. It had eight faders, and you could do some kind of down mixing. I don't remember exactly how it works, but too long. But, but you know, at the time, yeah. like it was because all I'd ever done is mess around with tapes, like the Fostex four tracks and all that stuff. Mm. So it was like, oh wow, this has effects. You know, it had like well, an effects, effects processor. And, yeah, yeah. And then you could yeah. like right, and then you could like basically mix it all and like burn it directly. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if that one was like that, but I have yeah. a I still have an old Tascam yeah. like that where it's got all the hard drive yeah. space. But then you can just burn yeah, it yeah. onto a CD, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Though it probably and now had things don't like, even have CD players anymore. <laughs> yeah, it probably had like a hundred megabytes of hard drive space <laughs> or something. Exactly. You know? But uh, but it was cool. That I mean, that's where I kind of got the bug right on, you know, because it was like it was just you know there was something magical about it, and really, and you always hear these like you know like old film guys always talk about tape, you know, like Ben Bird or. Or all the, uh, you know, Walter Merch. Like, they were all messing around with tape. That was, like, the cool technology at the time. It's always about, like, you know, this creative relationship to technology. So it's yes. like, but, but you know, I had this buddy. He was a really sharp guy and, you know, really had an engineer's mind. I wasn't really an engineer at that point. I was, like, more of a singer and musician. And, you know, but I I got this, you know, immediately got this feeling like, oh, yeah, this is this is something interesting. The only other thing like that. It's, it, it's like so that was kind of the digital thing and that everything after that was like you know computers and pro tools and you know all cobbling like building out like these frankenstein pcs back when we did that and right. you know and honestly I've, I've talked about this in the past with my students when i taught like you know limewire and torrents and all that stuff like that was actually you know that was a big part of getting started because there was all this like pirated shitty software around and all it, it always like was funky it didn't really work very well but you could try things i mean mm -hmm. you know the amount of software i bought from literally every company i stole software from when i was in high school i mean just <laughs> you know i i've i've paid for all of it i have five studios there i paid for all of it five times right. over so it was all worth it but you know the other thing was is like um it was, it's sort of similar. I think you guys will appreciate this as being into music. You know, I remember right around that time, I play, play a little guitar and I'm kind of gotten away from it in the last decade. But um, I remember the first time I moved over from like a cheap practice amp and then I got a Fender tube amp. Mm -hmm. And I, the first time that I ever played a tube amp, I was like, 
Wow. Like there's, it's, there's something magical here and it's this, it's a, you know, it's technology. It's this, it's old school technology now, but it's, you know, there's something just so inexplicable about that tube crunch, you know, that was, and, and just the power of that and just like tearing into something with, with that piece of technology. And I, you know, there's something even in all this movie stuff that I do, I always try to find that feeling too. It's like, how can we like push it? You know, how can we push it to the edge? How can we get it to clip a little bit? Not literally, but you know, how do we kind of push the energy of this work in that way that has that, has that feeling that first time I like heard what that a guitar sounds like when it goes through that two preamp, you know, there's something like, there's something else happening there that's extra magical. So, right. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So I'm bringing all um, that into all this, you know. So sound design, it's it's so funny, like, listening to hear you talk about this stuff, because it really is like the magic behind the curtain, behind the scenes that yeah. you don't, all those things, I mean, well, I that are, are affecting you and you don't even think about it as much, right? It's like all, because you're seeing visually what's happening, you're hearing the dialogue, yeah. maybe you're conscious of the music, maybe you're not, depending on the context, but there's so many elements. And so now a lot of times, you're obviously working like I didn't even know what Foley meant for the longest time. Like mm. Foley is a guy who creates, you know, walks on the glass, makes different sounds, yeah. right? Creates yeah. sounds. And, it, and it's named for this guy, Jack Foley, who worked at Warner oh, okay. Brothers, I think. He was like the guy that came up with this idea at Warner Brothers. It was like, oh, if I record myself walking in sync with the people on picture, we can get a better quality sound of the footsteps than if we tried to do it on set. Yeah. But now it carries his name. But yeah, yeah, it's like you know, it, it's a huge part of the work we do. It's like, um, I, I actually like, and I, I think it's, you know, we're so in computers now. Um, but, but movie sound is still as a real kind of, of visceral part of the process. It's really important. And Foley's kind of the ultimate version of that, you know, because you really are getting in there and you're like manipulating objects. It's, you know, the thing we always think about is walking around, but so much of it is about, you know, manipulating objects and like, you know, anything can be really expressive, you know, if you really kind of turn into it. It's like I can set a glass down on the table so many different ways and express something through that. And, you know, a great I did this movie searching. I don't know if you've seen it. It, it, it was a pretty big movie um, and it's all takes place in computers. And so you're you're sort of seeing the entire movie through someone's computer screen. And in that in that movie, we did all the keyboard and Foley sound, all the keyboard and mouse sounds. We foley all that. So even when a character's like typing and you're hearing them typing and interacting, like the way you click a mouse can yeah. express all kinds of things, you know? And so ultimately, like in all the Foley work we do, there's, there's, it's always the best opportunity to really express something interesting, you know, or bring a, a unique quality or a unique texture to the work. So it's, it's like, you know, it's a really, I would say it's an essential part of, of sound in movies. And I didn't, I had never done it until kind of towards the end of grad school. I started to, to work with some people who had more experience and up to that point, I'd always been going into like sound libraries and chopping up sounds and, you know, cause that's kind of, you know what that, I, I know how to use pro tools. I can cut things up and find things. 
And then I, I actually, I worked with a director and she said, Oh, I'm going to bring in my Foley artist where he's going to do a day and do Foley work. And he was actually, I don't know his name. It's been so long ago, but he was one of the Foley artists on the show lost. And he had done, you know, huge resume. He'd been what being a Foley artist for decades. He did a sequence in this film that we, the, the film is, is called disillusion. It's by this director, Nina Menkes. It, it has like a, uh, really, it's a. It has very surreal moments in this movie, and it has these kind of walking sequence where this character is kind of walking through these tenements and walking through these buildings. It's like a very expressive kind of, you know, mysterious going through all these spaces, and it's just walking. It's literally like twelve minutes of walking. This foley artist, he's like got set up. He got like a surface here, a surface there, and then he just walked a step. He walked this entire like thirteen minute sequence once got almost all of it in perfect sync changed when it went to wood floor, when it went to tile, when it went to a step changed it all in real time. I didn't even have to edit it. It was done. Wow. That would have taken me to cut that out of a library would have taken me a day and he knocked it out in 15 minutes and it was better than anything I could have chopped up, you know? Well, that goes back to the tube analog, Real, you know, a player, a great player, an experienced player playing right. expressively on an instrument in real time. Of course, you could take the exact same notes and you could take them all and put them somewhere in MIDI. But right. but it's not then you go, you know, it's not that. And that's what makes it's interesting that we're talking about film sound in the same way as, as music and the word visceral. There's yeah. because it's something live happening. And I think even if it's on a subconscious level that affects uh, uh, affects you differently yeah. than something that is just sort of, like you said, a chop and paste, right? Yeah, yeah, what you yeah. Say, Vic? Were you about to say something, Vic? No, no, no. Oh, I thought you were... The other thing That's is... That's cool, there, man. There's some really weird, cool stuff happening with technology, too, because so, cause then you can kind of hybridize it. So, like, for instance, uh, there's this really cool company called Krotos, and they make these wild pieces of software they make a, a piece of software called dehumanizer and it's um it's a lot you'll hear it a lot used in like walking dead it's how they make all the zombie sounds it's basically like a voice modulator um oh wow they, okay. they but they also make um they make a another another piece of software that's basically it's it it is all the different parts of what of car of sounds that cars make so you can like choose the car. So you could say like Tesla and it has all of the like all the button sounds, all the squeaks, the, the tire sounds. And then it kind of works like a video game. So you can then modulate the revs so mm -hmm. you can go through on, a, on on like a fader and you can be just modulating the, the car. And so you can be doing the revs and the gears and all of those things. Though Tesla doesn't have the gears, but you know, it could be a Mustang. It could be an old muscle car could be a, you know, a, something really ordinary, but you can then modulate the engine. So then you can in real time to picture you could, you're using this like completely sampled. It's basically this really sophisticated, really mm -hmm. detailed sampler but you're able to modulate it in real time to picture. That's so in amazing. that case, wow. you could go and record those cars and you could get all this material. But then again, to cut that all up and get that into the movie would take days and days and days. But then if you put it into this kind of engine modulation system, then you can do that. They do the same thing with they have another product called weaponizer. Same thing. Hundreds wow. of weapons 
all the different ways that it shoots, the the way the magazine works, the way it ejects shells, all of that. And it's all built into it. But the one that's the most interesting is there's that one. And then there's there's a they make a product called Reformer. And then there's another company um, called Cargo Cult. And they make a uh, a product called Envy. And they're very similar products. Um, and they actually relate a lot to an old school, uh, what's like kind of old school, a, this really weird synthesizer called a Kima. Have you ever heard of a Kima? I'll talk to you about it. It's interesting. It's, it's known in the music world too. There's a lot of music people that are way into it, like square I, yeah. pusher and, you know, like really crazy, uh, I know some keyboard guys that know all the cool. Yeah. Yeah. Know. Yeah. The key, uh, let me come back to the Kima cause it's its own all thing. Right. That's really interesting to talk about, but the but like envy and reformer so so what the what those things can do is that they basically like you do something called cross synthesis so you could so here's a practical application for this so you can basically in these programs separate the frequency and the amplitude of a sound so you can say for instance like you could have someone do walking along and so the footsteps are modulating and you see the amplitude modulating right then I could take like a texture like rock or snow sound or, you know, basically any sound that could that it doesn't doesn't have to be a practical sound, but that's a practical application. So right. say you want, I want to add more grit to these footsteps. So you could have had the Foley artist do a great performance of the footsteps. But then the director says, oh, you know, but this these sound too clean. You can just go into Envy or Reformer and hit a button and add like a stone texture and then the footsteps the Foley artist did will modulate that texture because basically the amplitude of the first sound plays the frequencies of the second sound. And then you can blend the frequencies together. And it's like, so yeah, it's just no, there's no end anymore with the digital parameters. You know? Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. It, it reminds me of everything audio. It's the same, same idea about yeah, amp yeah, modules and Kempers. And I mean, you can course. manipulate yeah, everything yeah, course, and, and right. after the well, fact. Even you know, my so microphone it's fascinating, though. My yeah. microphone is yes. this, 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 uh, tell us about that, Mike. This is a Townsend lab. We just got this, you know, I mean, so, so what we do, we don't do a lot of music work. We mostly do ADR, which is, you know, re-recording voice voices for movies to sync a lot of uh, voiceover work we do here in the studio. Um, so, you know, for us, it's like, it's always a thing. It's like, I want to have a lot of outboard gear and a lot of cool microphones, but it's also, it's not that practical for us because, I'm not running a music studio here. I don't need a right. big mic locker, you know? So it just isn't yeah. a good, of all the things I need to buy, it's probably, it's, it always ends up being pretty low on the list. I mean, we have a handful of, you know, we have a 414, we have a lot of different shotgun mics, you know, we have a, the basic stuff. Um, but I recently uh, got onto this. This is this, this company called Townsend Labs. This is like a, what it is, is an emulation microphone. So, it's a it's it's interesting. I guess you guys can kind of see it here. Yeah, we it, see it. It's so it, what they did is it's a it's just a very high end condenser microphone. It's like a thousand bucks. You know, it's like your your usual large diaphragm condenser microphone, but it actually has two capsules. So it has one in the front and one in the back. So it's essentially a stereo microphone. And so what it can do here is it because it has this stereo field. What they can do is they they can get very high detail data sound information from the microphone because they've basically analyzed the way this microphone responds 
And so what then they can do is they can create algorithms that will take any microphone that would all the common ones, U87, U67, C12, all the classic microphones, and that it can just apply that as an emulation in real time. So it's a piece of software. It runs in Pro Tools on the HDX cards, which are the DSP cards. And so in real time, it will, you know, with virtually no latency, I can just switch between microphones. So like right now I'm on a C12. I can go to like a, U, a 67. This is like a U67 so Is that like a package thing you buy? The microphone and the software comes Correct. with the microphone? Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. So you can go to like, uh, and we've been testing it out, like a vintage U, U87. I don't know. I don't, I'm not monitoring my own voice, so I don't know if you're hearing a difference. But, um, and the cool thing is, is that you can do it in post-production. So you can track the stereo mic and then you can go in later and decide, like, oh, I want to hear what that voice sounds like in a U67 or a U87 or a 414. And we've done a little bit of testing. We had a C12 in here a couple of weeks ago. It was it was pretty good. And, you know, sound on sound. I, I, I always read sound on sound. And they, you know, they gave it a good review. Um, so I was like, oh, this seems like a safe bet. You know, is it the same as having $100,000 of microphones in a cabinet and vintage, all this stuff? Probably not. But it's a great choice for us because it gives us the option to, like, you know, bring a little bit of a different tone or different texture in when we're working with different voiceover actors and stuff. So, yeah. But this yeah. is like, you know, it's all this it's all this really and, and a lot of this is going into um, it's uh, it's using artificial intelligence. There's a lot of A.I. type stuff happening with sound. The biggest area is uh, noise reduction where it's like mm -hmm. using really sophisticated artificial intelligence. So, and it's not just like I hit a button, it goes away. You really do have to understand how to use the software. But right. in terms yes. of how much, you know, it, someone like me that's been doing this for almost 20 years, now it's like the, the difference from like, if I got a noisy piece of dialogue 10 years ago to now, it's like, <laughs> it's just not even in the same ballpark of what I can do today than what I could do a decade ago. Uh, it's just, you know, you can just, if you, you can literally really eliminate, yeah, isolate, yeah. And eliminate frequency specific. Oh frequencies yeah. Or like and... Mike Russell, like there's a, there's D Russell plugins. Now you can just take away Mike Russell and there's oh. like, you know, we've got, I've got a plugin here called unfilter and it's uh, and it's a, it's an expensive plugin but it will literally, you could have like a microphone under a shirt where it's just completely muffled and you mm -hmm. can just tune it. And it's like, it just takes the cloth off of the microphone. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. What do you so, use uh, software wise? What are your programs that you tend to work in? I mean, we have, I mean, we're, we're a pro Tools shop and pro tools is a hundred percent in the film industry, especially in LA, New York, London, it's the standard. Um, you know, there's in Germany, I think, uh, there's, you know, some people use the Steinberg new window, which is like, you know, uh, Cubase's, uh, mm -hmm. production software. I, I use new window. It's a really nice piece of software, but you know, pro tools is the standard here and that's kind of our ecosystem we're in. Um, and you know, both hardware and software, like here, you can see, we've got these cool, um, we've got the. The um, can't, can't quite see. Yeah, what are your converters? Yeah, here these this days? is this is back here. Here's here's some of the you know some of the like this is one of our oh, smaller gotcha, yeah. stages. Yeah, yeah. We've got we're, so we're using a lot of the Avid Pro Tools hardware. And then in the back in the big stage we have the big S6 console, um, which is their kind of flagship 
console and scrolls the waveforms and the meter bridges and all that. Um, so, and then beyond that, um, I mean, we have in every room, we probably have, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 different pieces of software we're using. Nugent Audio, we use a lot of their stuff. That's a real standard in post-production. Uh, their, their limiters, software limiters are incredible. Um, we use, I'm a big reverb guy and, you know, we use, a, we use reverb on everything and, you know, reverb in the like kind of convolution. We have a lot of convolution. Altiverb is a common convolution. That's the standard in, in the industry, which is bathrooms and kitchens and living rooms right. and then other, <laughs> right. you know, um, so that's a big thing. And actually my technique in mixing is we actually program every scene in the movie with a reverb. So we always have a reverb there on a knob. We can just add a little bit of it's just an, to everything. an automatic ambience that you create with every exactly and environment. If it's a bathroom, it's a bathroom. If it's a kitchen, it's a kitchen. Right. Or a, so, um, and then you know, and then then we have some. Um, we use exponential audio reverbs, which are pretty common in music now too. That's that's uh, Michael Carnes who did. He was one of the original Lexicon reverb programmers. Oh, okay. He went out and made his own um, reverbs that are just fantastic and he actually it's cool and i don't know if you guys know much about the whole reverb thing you know there's the there's the sort of different camps there's the convolution reverb camp which is where they go in and they take a microphone and a and a speaker into a room and they actually capture the acoustics of the room and for like you know there's some really cool stuff the company that makes the number one is altiverb it's this company from denmark i think and they they actually came out with a new piece of software a few years ago uh, called Indoor, and it's literally a 3D model where you have like a like a whole house, and you can take the mic a virtual microphone and a virtual oh, wow. uh, speaker, and you can set it in different rooms of the house, and then you can also open and close doors, so you can get the sound of like, oh, the neighbor upstairs or someone in the bathroom, and you're in the other room. And then it actually is 3D, so you can turn the image. So I can actually, in the mix, I can actually lay like, oh, I'm going to make the neighbors upstairs in the back of the house, and then I can kind of set that in 3D space. And and yet it's all in that reverb. So it's like, you know, it's a convolution. They captured this in a house. They have this microphone array that spins in 360, and so they capture these sounds in 360. So it, and, and there's cars in there, so... <laughs> like interior car, there's like a boat. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's really it's just, cool. Yeah, so, man. So that, like yeah. And then we, and then reverb, we use, um, RX, which is isotope. That's like the big, you know, clean, cleaning up audio. And, um, and then, oh, so many other things. There's, there's so many, it sort of becomes a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, it, right? It is. You're just like, it's daunting. Like, what should I even, where do I even start? You well, here's know? the crazy you thing. Thousands is I have, and thousands of I have, options. I have six rooms that I, you know, that basically have parity. So we have to, if I decide to add a plugin to that's in our regular template of work, I have to buy six of them. So that's, okay. you know, because we need so to be able that, to open up the project in every room and work on it. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's so a we big talked choice. A lot about, a lot about uh, and so in, in your different rooms, you have different projects going on kind of thing, right? Is that the idea behind that? Yeah. I mean, sometimes, I mean, we, when we built this space, so, so I, you know, I, I got into post-production, I guess it's been now like 12, 13 years ago. Um, 
you know, I kind of, I got to work, work in different areas. I also did the work in radio a little bit in public radio. So I got to have that experience. Um, and then kind of decided to do my own thing and start my own studio. And I started in, in a, you know, basically built a home studio. It was a garage studio. Did use that for a few years, got some movies into Sundance, got started to build a client list. And then I was able to move into a, you know, professional facility. I actually shared it with another company. Um, had a little mix stage, had a little ADR booth, you know, very small footprint. So this space we're in now was a bare warehouse. And so my company grew to the point where I was like, we, we have to find new space. We need to, you know, we, we have a lot of, you know, we use generally these days have two to three feature films going all the time, plus short films, plus other little things. So, you know, I had had about a decade of working in other facilities to kind of figure out like, what do I like? What do I don't like? What, do, what would I like to try to have in my own facility? And some of the things are really practical, like air conditioning, you know, in, it's always a problem in studios. It's like this room's freezing, that room's too warm. It's always this battle, people battling over the thermostat. So I was like, oh, when I build a studio, I'm going to find a way to make air conditioning of a thermostat in every room. And so we did it. We used these split systems that use a, it's like a ducted system, but it's actually like, you know, every room is its own unit. And, but then, you know, a lot of things we're thinking about are just like, where's movie, where's the movie business going? Um, so a big thing is streaming obviously and Netflix and a lot of our movies are like, Oh, they live in the theater for a minute, but then they're mostly streaming. And now we're actually, we did a movie voyeurs last year that was for Amazon. It was forced to streaming. It never was in a theater ever. Um, so one of the things I was thinking about is like, how do we create a facility where we can kind of support all the different, um, not only different types of projects, but all the places a project will play. So to be able to say like, okay, we can mix in the big theatrical stage and we know it's going to sound great when it goes to South by Southwest or when, you know, a few of our movies do a wide release and we know it's going to sound good in the theater, but then how is it going to sound for when it's being streamed or how is it going to mm. sound, you know, on a home theater system? And so the idea was to kind of create a footprint of rooms. And if you go to our website, there's actually a 3d tour. You can go and look at the 3d model and kind of see, um, see the, the different, the space and how it's set up. But, you know, so that was the idea is that we can, we can kind of have within the facility the comp all the potential experiences that somebody would have with a movie or a television show and you know from mixing on small near field speakers all the way up to a giant mix stage with you know huge theatrical uh arrays and 28 surround speakers and so that's the you know that was a very conscious no, I choice is that like, are you talking in terms of like from reference points or you're actually mixing it differently for different mediums? It's both. And, and that's, um, it's, you know, the room plays a big part in it. And that's the interesting thing about movies. Um, and I mean, th this stuff applies in, in music too. I mean, like Bob Katz and the K system, I've never ever heard of that, but it's like, you know, Bob Katz is like, oh, well, whatever dynamic range you're trying to get with your music, you set your speakers at that level. And then, you know, you have that much dynamic range. Right. We kind of do something similar in in movie mixing. Um, and, you know, so there's the like the basic is like the loudness, like in a movie mix, the loud to soft because you're mixing for like a big 
speaker in a theater, the quiet sounds, the, the, the space between very quiet sounds and very loud sounds can be very big, you know? Mm -hmm. But then when you go to play that on a television, we've all had this experience that, that in that instance, the music sounds too loud and the voices sound too soft. You know, and so you're constantly turning it up and turning it down. Well, that's because the movie was meant to be played on big theatrical speakers, which have the range. You can like right. hear a pin drop and hear like a jet plane scream by and it can handle both of those. Whereas your home TV, the dynamic range from quiet to loud is much smaller. And so that's why you end up with that remote thing. So, yeah, it's yeah. It's like, like it's, trying to listen to an orchestra on a television, man. It's exactly, just the worst. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And movies are like that. They have big orchestral yeah. dynamic range. So, so you know, the way that we, you know, we think about that technically when we're mixing, but the big part of it is getting into the room that that is emulating the environment it's going to be experienced in. So, mm, for instance, mm -hmm. like this movie, The Voyeurs, we did for Amazon, we did a theatrical mix for the as our base mix for the movie, which was more dynamic range to play great in the theater. And then we went back and did a near field mix of the same movie. So we go back in, we come into this other studio that has the near field speakers in it. It's still a, it's still an Atmos system, uh, which we could talk about. It's like, a, you know, all the ceiling speakers and all that, but they're, they're but they're, they're monitor. They're like near field monitors, no, more normally like what you would work on music in. And right, so, right. so then, you know, you're, you're just by the nature of the device, the nature of the speaker, you're going to get less dynamic range because the speaker doesn't have that dynamic range. And, you know, right. it's it's the same as like putting things through Aratones back in the day, right? Like the Aratone was simulating, you know, it's like the grot box thing. It's like, oh, the Aratone simulates that speed, the average speaker in a car stereo. So you'd have you would like do your mix, then you listen to it through the R tone and you could see like, Oh, it does it. How does it translate? And then the classic is then you just go listen in the car, right? You burn the right. disc and go listen in the car. It's the same. It's the same yeah. idea in movie making. <laughs> we like, you got to go in, listen to it in the speakers. Yeah, in fact, that makes sense. We even sometimes like, even if I'm in the big stage, we've got this really shitty, uh, sound bar it's like not even a good one it's like a it's like a went to costco i was like what's the shittiest sound bar that i can buy at costco i want shit sound <laughs> yeah i was like what's the real like real like 75 dollar sound bar and so i'll like <laughs> bring that in sometimes and just set that on the console up up at the top of the console and then you know we've got these system dante where we it's everything's like networked audio so i can have a button and i can just flip that on and listen to it sure and, yeah, yeah. you know, it's interesting because it's like, oh, wow, I'm mixing this movie for like giant theaters, knowing that actually most people are going to be listening on something not even as good as the sound bar, <laughs> you know? <That's>, yeah, <laughs> so true, man. Yeah, so, same thing. I, you don't think I don't, I don't think most people probably think about film. I mean, you know, I'm a musician. I think about music, but it's like it's that old joke about, you know, you do all this fancy in the studio and you're worried about all these different analog, this and that right, and, right. and all that. And then it's. And people are listening to it on cheap headphones and MP3 on their phone. And it's the yeah, same idea. Yeah. Where you're like, all this stuff you're mixing for this big surround sound theater and it's on a little, tele little yeah, television yeah. or something. Yeah, so yeah. you have to or, be conscious of that idea. Or right. That, that or that's iPhones, be a right? Or iPhones. Or phones. Or earbuds. Or iPads. Right? Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's that's interesting. Wild, We're like, you know, there's a lot happening. In, also, though, like some of this is all coming full circle because – you know, we're getting ready to do this great big movie and it's like a full blown Atmos 
movie, which is part of why we're putting, you know, we're, it's really creatively going to be a big part of this movie is like, everything's deeply immersive. It's like a historical epic. It's, it's shot in a way that you're kind of always moving through spaces and, um, it, and so the, the way we're going to mix that movie is like deeply immersive. So like the theatrical experience is going to be, I, I think it's going to be really cool. And we're, that's why we're doing a lot of updates to our mix stage here. We're doing this full blown theatrical Atmos setup, and then we're going to actually go up and mix it in this huge, beautiful theater up here in LA. It's like a full size movie theater, um, you know, that has like, I don't know, 80 or 90 Atmos speakers in it, you know, so that'll be an incredible version of the movie. You know, it's likely this movie will be wide release. It could be in the Dolby theater. So, you know, there's like, in the U.S., there's a few hundred theaters. You guys are in Austin. There's some great Atmos rooms there. You know, mm-hmm. some of the newer Alamo uh, rooms have nice Atmos setups in them. But, you know, and then there's all these other versions, right? Which is like, there's Atmos soundbars, there's regular soundbars. What's interesting is we've been talking about the about a version of the movie specifically designed um, for the new Apple earbuds that do Atmos, which I don't know if you've read much about, but it's like the, you know, the, uh, there's a lot of music. If you, if you listen to music on Apple music on the app, on the iPhone, they actually have music mixes in immersive audio, like using Mm. Dolby's like immersive audio technology. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's interesting. I don't necessarily love music that's mixed that way it's like a preference some people seem to really like it i i i don't it hasn't really grabbed me i'll say that Mm -hmm. but but what you can do with this technology is you can basically take that mix that's designed for a room with a hundred speakers and you can make a version in the software that will will do a stereo binaural output that then will go and play in an iPhone that someone could watch it and get that fully immersive experience through the headphones. And it's like a setting in these Apple earbuds that's set up for that immersive audio. So you could actually get a, like a, you know, a five, one, what, what would be, you know, that surround sound experience in a pair of cheap earbuds. And so one of the things we're talking about with this movie is like, well, we're, since this is so creatively important, how we're going to mix it, that we want to play with maybe trying to create a version that's specifically designed for that person who's like listening on a pair of earbuds on an iPhone. And can we bring some of that kind of immersive quality that we're getting in the big theater experience to that? So it'll be interesting to see if it works. You know, who knows? But as um, this whole craft has kind of uh, evolved, like, so what are, I mean, gosh, when does even sound and film start? When were, were the earliest? Uh, I mean, I think it's like, it's the earliest 20s? was Edison. Yeah, like Edison started. Well, I mean, in, in terms tens, of just reproducing but, sound, yeah, right? But yeah, film. Yeah. Yeah. So like the- I'm wondering when, like, I mean, obviously at some point there was Foley's and people going like, oh, let's create sounds. And, but I mean, that wasn't even an option until a certain point. So yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they would do that in radio though, right? Radio shows, they'd have that kind of Foley work. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a vaudeville and vaudeville had yeah. that too. They would do, they hmm. would do that with in vaudeville, but yeah, right. Exactly. Like, yeah. I mean, that was a big thing, right? In the twenties and thirties, there were like, uh, radio shows that were like radio dramas. We were talking about it before we started that we've been doing some of these like 
podcast dramas, you know, but uh, so in a way that's even coming back, that kind of like radio theater idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it basically sound and movies evolved with technology. So it was like the, the originally what really drove it was world war two and the, um, in world war two, the newsreels, everybody wanted to know what was happening in world war two and the newsreels started to have sound. So they would, so the theaters started putting speakers in the theaters so that they could play the sound of the newsreels. And so then that meant that the theaters actually had a speaker in them. It was just a mono speaker. And that actually is then when they started doing talkies, which was actually having sound for movies. So it was actually the, it's like always war always drives all the stuff. Right. So right? Yeah, it was no that, kidding. that need. And then obviously, I, and then it, a lot of it came out of world war two, right? Like c- condenser microphones were right around that time. Multi-track recording came out of, that was like specifically related to the war effort. So that's why you get that explosion in the 50s and 60s of all kinds of music recording and movie sound because they were taking all that technology they developed in World War II and then, you know, applying it for for creative purposes. Right. Now that we've figured out things that we can kill people with, let's let's right. do something fun with them. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah right. exactly. Exactly. So that's, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, technology. But, but it's funny, like some of the really crazy ideas were around way earlier than you think like um uh disney is they disney invented stereo and surround sound back before world war ii actually fantasia was mixed the movie fantasia was mixed in essentially surround sound and it was before theaters could do it so they had a traveling they would take the the movie around in a tent with its own sound system and they would show it it was called fanta sound and so it was specifically designed. And in fact, for Fantasound, for Fantasia, they invented the pan pot for that for that sound system. The wow. idea of being able to pan left and right, they invented that for Fantasia. But here's the thing what it was. It was literally two knobs, and it had a chain that was attached to both of them. Oh, so wow, when you turned man. one knob, the other amazing. knob would turn. Like <laughs> it, was, it was like, you know, it was like a chain system where when it, you turn one up, the other would turn down. But yeah, so that was pre-World War II. So they were already kind of wow. driving the technology. But, you know, it's like after that, it's like all, you know, we know Dolby and, and we know Apocalypse Now. Those are like the well-known, you know, kind of like touchstones. But actually like, you know Dolby stereo was like actually the original surround sound in matrix audio which was taking a stereo signal like you know you guys probably know Dolby Pro Logic right which is like mm-hmm. that button you could hit and it, on a stereo and what it would do is it would look at the phasing of the of the information in the stereo track so it's like oh the voice is pretty much mono because it, it it's like in phase so put that in the center and then oh the you know, the symbols, they're really kind of phasey. So those end up kind of panned out when you hit that button. But that was just hmm. a phasing thing that it would do. And that was that goes back to Bell Labs. And there were actually a lot of versions of that. I have a good friend um, who's a film historian who specializes in sound. And he's actually been studying a lot of this stuff. So we always have interesting chats. He, here's an interesting kind of crazy thing he was telling me about. I didn't know, like, you know. Back way back in the kind of golden Hollywood era, you know, all the studios had their own ways of doing sound. And and most of the studios were, you know, every 
every, you know, the sound, it wasn't like now where it's like, oh, I'm a sound designer and I have a credit as a sound designer. It was sort of like, you know, it was a department in the studio and, you know, editors were even like this. It was like, it's a department in the studio and a bunch of people work there and sound comes out, you know, but it was like a part <laughs> of the studio. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, like this. Yeah, credits in the old movies were like directed by <laughs> this person stars done. Yeah. Like yeah, on exactly. Screen for exactly. Seconds. You know, it was just like, oh, the, the sound was done by RKO sound. You know, that was about exactly. all you got. Exactly. Yeah. So, so what was interesting though, is that a lot of the sound studios, they had these proprietary relationships with theaters. And so it went into the hardware too. So they, you would have to have a specific sound head on the movie projector to play the sound from a certain studio. So it was like the hardware was part of the deal. So you couldn't like, if you had a projector that had the sound head that was RCA, well, that could only play the movies from this studio and this studio, because they were the ones that had the arrangement and then there was this period in Hollywood where they 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 started making these like hot rotted sound heads. They were called penthouses. And so they were like, oh, you could have this like hybrid sound head that had like all five different ways that like the perf on the film would play sound. And so you could like, you know, re it was like modular. So you could like move mm. the sound head into place to play from this studio or that studio. So that was like. And then the the real innovation that, you know, Dolby's all, you know, they're the big gorilla in the room and, you know, they, and, and they make great stuff. I, I think, I think Atmos, their product to do immersive sound is incredible, but the, but really the genius of Ray Dolby was, he was like, let's take all these technologies and not make all this stuff, this licensing nightmare. Let's just get it all into one thing that every theater can buy one box and it's done. And that was the mm -hmm. real genius because like, you know, I, um, for movies, one of the cool things about movie sound is that there's basically, you know, I don't know even how many, a million theaters in the world that all mm -hmm. more or less conform to a standard for like, here are the speakers behind the screen. Here are the speakers around the audience. Here is the box that plays it. Here are the levels for the box. And so, you know, I know in my theater here when I'm mixing, if I set the level, technically, and most of the time, it's going to translate out to a million rooms in the world where people are going to watch this. That's pretty amazing. You know what yeah, I mean? Like absolutely. that as a technological feat is, you know, it's pretty mind boggling that that even exists, you know? So... So back to your studio, like mm -hmm. when now you've got, is this, you have a studio here or you're in New York too, or do you have something going on? I, I had a studio in New York. Places? I, I, these days I'm just working out of both. I had a studio in New York for many years. Um, and I, and I still continue to work there. I have some places I work out of there. Mm -hmm. Um, at, right around COVID time, it did, we were building out this facility and it kind of didn't make sense to keep both. Cause I was just, right. you know, sorry. I'm, I, I've really kind of shifted my focus to LA cause we're kind of, we were doing, when we originally built that studio, we were very focused on independent films and we're, you know, we're still doing a lot of indie work here, but we're also doing a lot of, um, you know, more studio level feature work and stuff. So, and, that, and a lot of that, there's a lot of that in New York, but you know, LA is kind of where it's at for that. Sure. I sure. Say. Um, and this studio, so this is really pretty brand new, right? This, how, yeah, how brand long new. has this facility been We're, up? We, 2021. We, yeah. We started building it 
We started building it three years ago, um, and I thought it would take about a year, and it took. I mean, we're still still finishing little things here and there. So, um, but we've been operating here for about. Um, and I guess it was actually about four years ago because time keeps on ticking by, right? We started yeah. about four years ago. So um, it took us about two and a half, three years. We had the first room up, rooms up and running about two and a half years ago. And then we completed it um, maybe about a year ago. So we've been kind of fully operational for about the last year. But we're, you know, I, I don't know if you ever built studios, but it's a little bit of a trial and error thing. We, I actually have just recently we brought a contractor back in. We're doing some fixes. When we when we first built it, it was COVID and there was very little traffic. And we're here right in Burbank, mm. kind of a main thoroughfare. And I was like, oh man, our isolation sounded great. The roofs sound great. Everything's good. And then now here in the last like six months with lots of traffic has picked up. I'm like, mm-hmm. uh-huh. Yeah, I'm here in a motorcycle. <laughs> I'm here in the, yeah, you know, yeah. somebody comes yeah. by in a great big hot rod really going. I'm like, uh, so we actually had to bring some people in recently. We're doing another, we're re, we're re, uh, approaching the ceilings, but we've, we fixed it now. So, but, um, but yeah, so it's, it is relatively new and it's a work in progress, but, but yeah, it's, uh, it's done. So, so <laughs> in my understanding, I guess, like, I, I don't really know a lot about this, but like, so you have the film, the whole thing gets shot. I don't know, like how much of the original sounds even get used. Uh, I guess not much. And then people come in, you Foley, whatever the case may be, you're creating sound mm-hmm. effects, you're creating atmospheres. Obviously, there's, you know, sometimes you, you do music stuff, but but not as much, I guess. But obviously, there's yeah. music to films. Yeah. And then actors. So ADR, is that where you, you have actors that would physically come into your yeah, studio? Yeah. and Yeah. And then they recreate the lines as they're watching the film, is that kind of how right. it works? Correct. Okay. So, um, yeah, like the whole, I mean, I would say in most movies, um, you're mostly just using the dialogue. Um, and you know, I would say most movie these days, because we're able to clean up dialogue a lot more, we yeah. use 80 to 90% of it, um, of the original dialogue. Um, uh, okay. and then, you know, in, in some cases, maybe the, there's a little bit of ambient recording that went on. We're actually doing a movie right now that was shot in Pakistan, and they their recordist did a lot of extra recordings. We actually have a lot of really great ambient recording that they did. Um, but normally speaking, we're just dealing with the dialogue, and that's all the microphones. So it's multi-channel. You know, most of the time it's a, a boom or two booms, sometimes a plant mic, and then everyone's wearing a lav mic. And then we bring that in and process it all. Um, we use a great tool called auto align that synchronizes it all up for us. Oh, that's then, interesting. So you're, yeah. you're actually mixing multiple mics of their, yeah, their, yeah. the direct oh, yeah. signal. This is, that's actually, oh, that's cool. a piece of software. You should check it out. It's great for music too. It's called What's auto it called? align. Auto align. Auto align. Okay. Yeah. What it does is you could, you basically choose like, so if you were mixing music, what you could do is, cause that's always a problem, right? You're getting phasing between the microphones. Because mm-hmm. the time is different when the sound gets to one microphone or the other, especially if you're playing live together. What it does is it goes through and it time aligns all of the microphones to perfect sync so that there's no time differences between the microphones. And so then you can just oh, wow. you can just play all the lav mics and the boom together at the same time and there's zero phasing. Yeah, wow. it's incredible. It's incredible. Wow. And it's great. And that's for music. just uh 
And that's so that's just and that's just software plugin. Yeah, yeah, that's get. just a little software plugin. Mm-hmm. It's cheap too. I think it's like hundred bucks, fifty bucks. Oh man, um, awesome. <laughs> so we'll so we'll take that in, we'll edit all that dialogue into down, yeah. you know, we'll auto align it, we'll clean it up a little bit and listen to it. And then our dialogue editor will listen and flag anything we're like, Oh, that's noisy, oh, that line didn't come through, it was off mic, you know, all the different things that can happen on a set. And then yeah, we bring the actors in, they um you know, we, we go through and we actually like, it's a pretty cool system. We program all the ADR. So we go through, we get, we have a piece of software. It drops the script in, we can listen to it in pro tools. We can put in and out points. And then when the actor comes in, we actually have it pre-programmed. We just hit a button. It shows the line they need to re-record. It says the line on the screen. It shows oh, wow. a streamer to show how long they have to do it. And then it gives them a cue. So it gives them three beeps to start nice. the line. And then, yeah, and then we just record takes, a bunch of takes, and then we can go back and, you know, hopefully if they're, a lot of actors are great at ADR and they can just synchronize right up to their, to their original. Other times they're, they're not so good at it, but we've got, of course, we've got uh, other tools to, you right. know, we've got. Yeah, a, you, in your yeah. worst case, you yeah. nudge and poke and, you know, I'm yeah, sure you, it, there's well, always going to be some of that you're going to have to do. It's a common, there's a common tool. The, a lot of these tools have music and film uses. So there's a p- tool we co- use called Revoice Pro. It's how they do all the voice doubling and like hip hop and, you know, oh, yeah. pop music. Yeah. So Revoice Pro has a mode where we can go point it at their original line that they did on set. And then it'll, li- and then we can say, take the timing of that line and it'll go in at a subframe level, re take the new take and adjust it so that it synchronizes with the original. And it even does intonation. So it even can Jeez. include intonation wow. on there. Yeah. And then, you know, wow. we've got we've got another piece of software. So let's say they like their their inflection's a little funny. So the inflection doesn't work. You can go in and like tweak the inflection. It's like a little pitch shifter for inflection. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So it's it's cool. Um and so we do, you know, ADR is a big part of what we do. And then like you were saying, the you know, sound effects. We the way we talk about it, we do foley, we do hard effects, which are like doors and the things you see on screen. We do ambient or BGs. We call them BGs, background sounds, which is all that ambient okay. sound. Um, usually, we have a layer, some layers that are stereo, mono, and five one. So we get, and then we also use up mixers to kind of take stereo files and kind of wrap them around the audience a little bit. And then we do, you know, then we go into mixing. So. You know, and the mix mixes usually it can go anywhere from a couple weeks to the big movie we're getting ready to start. We're going to mix it for more than two months. Yeah, I can see that, man. It's a it's a huge process. I mean, fortunately, yeah. you have a lot of uh, um, automation. You know, yeah, <laughs> these yeah, <days>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, things works. in real time. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, and so even, much options. And even I mean, that's why in the end, like Pro Tools is. It, because it, they make all they make their own hardware the automation integration between you know this giant console which is essentially just a giant mouse um, right but you know even within you know pro tools is the original daw it's the original software that did this and the refinement of the automation is just unbelievable because like we can go in you know this advanced automation modes like we can go in like when i'm mixing i can go and like take a section go through, you know, we're, we're often running three, 400 tracks. I can go through a section of a scene. I can be tweaking 
EQing, put it into a preview mode, EQ all the voices, go down, make an adjustment here, make an adjustment there, EQ the ambient sound, do whatever. And then I can literally like select the in and out and then anything that I've changed, I can write it in time as automation. It's mm. amazing, you know, and then okay, all yeah. kinds of other things where like, you know, I can just, I can put it in a mode where I can, I can go in and when I, when I, um, I can be working through and, and writing a bunch of automations and I can be like, Oh, I messed up one little thing. And then I can just hit a, bo a button for join. I can roll back 10 seconds make tweak that one little thing and when it hits the point where the automation was going it just keeps going oh so it all like, back up like again like you could have a whole bunch of tracks that you're doing and that you could isolate one just for a frame or, or whatever yeah but yeah. and one thing i guess that's the uh, idea with like having the the mixers the faders like physically in front of you for writing automation like that yeah exactly not just drawing it in right yeah yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, much and, more practical, especially when you're dealing with that much. I would assume totally. And we work in template. I mean, the thing about movies sound is that like it's very templatized, and and the template, you know, that's kind of like my intellectual property that I've been developing for a decade. So, you know, the template that I work in with my team, like we've developed so many ways of thinking about the sound and organizing the sound, and you know, it's so we can have a session that has, you know. I mean, we've had sessions that can have 500 tracks in them, but because it's all templatized in this way and organized in a way, I can still have eight faders on the console and in two button clicks, I can get to any one of those 500 tracks. Right. Because it's all nested in this really smart way that like, you know, it, it, it's like it exists in my mind as a map, but it's also on that console. And, you know, that's the exciting thing about now is like the truth is the console I use day to day, it has 16 faders because I actually, what I need is my eight faders that are VCAs. It's like dialogue effects music. And then I've got a screen in front of me that shows me all of right. everything organized into sections. And I can hit a button and have any one, any set of eight faders land on my left hand. So rather than going up and down a big console, I don't yes. have to do that. I can sit there with the mouse. I can hit a button and get anything under my left hand with one click you know, it's crazy and you can move so much faster, you know? So it's a real, like, it really is. And and this is all within the last 10 years, you know, yeah. it's a real shift. So, I mean, huge, like, I mean, I'm thinking from audio terms, you're basically, it's almost like you're different instruments and you're sub sub mixing exactly. all the mics or something. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, and, then exactly. You're, and then you're just dealing, like you said, with those APCAs. Right. Yeah. So it's like, it's just like that. It's just nested like 10 layers down, mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah. And do you cool. like, do you treat it that way too? Then I'm going to assume, like, do you, when you do a mix and when you're mixing down these different ways, do you ever have like the way I'm assuming, like, I mean, uh, you know, audio would start doing for like, you know, Guitar Hero and stuff like that? Do you have, do you ever like shoot out stems in terms of like, here's these like oh, the different yeah, categories? Yeah. 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 That's a big So people could manipulate them if, you yeah, know, on yeah. their own. We don't really, you know, it used to be in movies, stem mixing was like a big part of it. Like, you you know when you were at the final mix you would they would really only be mixing with a set of stems because i mean in the analog days you had no choice you had you know? to like yeah, right yeah. you were always mixing down mixing down mixing down and that persisted in digital and it's still a lot of guys just work in stems and big movies a lot of times even they're still kind of working in stems you know i'm kind of in this younger crowd where like we're really trying to kind of harness the horsepower of pro tools so 
we usually keep everything live all the way through the mix. But then when we get to delivery, that's a big part. Right. They want everything stemmed down. So that's sure. We have these big packages of stems that we have to deliver. Uh, so, you know, every movie in, you have to, you know, break it down into. Parts. So that's kind so, of a so that's kind of a standard thing. It's like, here's your stereo mix. Here's your, yeah. your surround sound mix. Here are the stems, just the whole package. Yeah, yeah. It's a whole package. And then we have to do international versions. So where we go through and we essentially erase all of the dialogue out of the movie. So it's like you hear all the rest of the sound, all the ambient oh, yeah. sound, except there's just no dialogue. And then they go back and dub that over the well, top. Well, then that seems like a perfect stem situation. Yeah, because yeah, that's exactly. like you're just like mute this out, so to speak. Or, right, yeah, don't right. Send that exactly. One. Okay. Exactly. Interesting. So that's a big part of it. It's, uh, you know, it's like the, the, the deliverables thing is a pretty... It gets pretty crazy, the amount of deliverables that you're required to, to send. It's like, it's kind of, it's a, it's a whole job in and of itself managing all that on these bigger movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How, when you mentioned your team, like, what what is your, a team sort of, what is, what's a team consist of for, like, this big motion picture you're working on now about to mix? So, um, so on, a, on most movies, I have a, a Foley artist, an effects editor, and a dialogue editor. So that's the normal team. And then I'm kind of, you know, sound designer, whereas like kind of the creative leader of the group. And then I mix most of the movies that we do. So we're now okay. I'm gotcha. kind of training my guys to do more of their own mixing. And that's kind of a movement in audio post is to like used to be very, people were really rigidly in different categories Right. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and that's not so much the case anymore. The software is d democratizing that a little bit. So you can mm. really and, and what I'm really working towards is I really want generalists. I want people who kind of do everything, you know, that everybody feels comfortable kind of in all of the parts of the process. So that's like a you know, that's a little maybe a little bit unique to my company, but we still do. You know, the, our Foley artist, he primarily works on Foley and editing Foley. Uh, the dialogue editor I work with, he mostly edits dialogue. That's kind of his specialty. So there is still some specialization within there, um, but that's the norm. And then as the movie scales up, normally we're just adding more effects editors, um, maybe in a second mixer. So the big movie I'm going to be doing right now, we're going to have two dialogue editors. We're going to have one because part of the movie is, a, is an Italian. So we'll have an Italian hmm. dialogue editor and our usual dialogue editor. And they'll work a lot longer. So normally my dialogue editor works like one to two weeks. On this movie, he'll work four to six weeks. Um, and so that's just because of the scale of it. It's also because this movie has tons of extras and, and where we're going to have a lot of loop recording, where we, we're going to record background actors performing. And, you know, you have a big crowd scene and you'll have people yelling and people saying things and little asides and you'll see an actor as you walk by, say something. We have to like put something in the actor's mouth, even though we don't have uh, it. Yeah. And so that's right. a big part of managing all that. Um, and then we'll have an Italian dialogue editor who will do a pass on it with, for Italian. Um, we're going to have three effects editors on that project. And then when we mix it and then various other people um, involved, but, and then when we mix it, we'll probably be two mixers. So, I'm going to co-mix it with another mixer. And in that case, he'll take the dialogue and music and I'll take all the effects. Um, and oh, that's, okay. yeah. And that's pretty standard on a big studio size movie. Uh, 
especially this movie's gonna have a big orchestral score. They're actually um, they're it, they're recording it with Antonioni's orchestra, like in Italy. Oh wow! Um, wow. And then um, the uh, the and so since it's gonna have a big massive orchestral score with a lot of opera and a lot of stuff in it having someone that can just deal with that and, and the dialogue and its relationship to that is going to take a big load off of my plate. So then I can focus on like really dealing with a lot of these immersive environments and effects and everything. So, you know, though normally on most smaller movies, I just do all of it. So, so when you say a smaller movie, like what is that contingent on just less going on in terms yeah, of that? With the, and I, yeah. I would think probably screen time. I mean, obviously there's a different short. What, by the way, what is the cutoff between like a short and a, and a feature length? Like what are, what determines that? Well, I mean, I think it can be anything. I would say most, most smaller indie movies we do. It's like, it's a function of budget and, and scale of the movie and uh running time. But most, most indie movies that are smaller movies are in the like 80 to a hundred minute length. You know, they're not over. You rarely get something over a hundred, 110 minutes. Um, still pretty so that's long, a though. big factor. Yeah. yeah still a little longer. Um, and then a short, most short films are, are really around 20 minutes. I would say okay. you, you get some that are 30. The thing with shorts is that they're essentially calling cards for people kind of starting to build their careers for the most part. Right. Obviously students do short work. Um, and you know, it's a big festival thing. Most festivals program shorts that are in like 10 to 20 minute range. So you can make one as long as you want, but you might have a lot harder time getting someone to play it, you know? So that's normally the, the deal, but it's like you know, your hit song. You're just trying exactly, to put out there and be like, exactly. Yeah, right. What I it's got. the single, you know? But, yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> but the, you know, but a bigger movie is also scale. The movie that we're doing now is like that we're gearing up to is like scenes with a hundred extras in them scenes, you know, big, big scenes in an ocean going ship, all kinds of it's part of it's in an orphanage with all these children. Like there's a big whole music festival in it. Like there's all these right. different really elaborate set piece scenes that we have that are just have a lot more design it's also it's it's a period piece. So that means a lot of things we have to kind of create from scratch because most New York sounds from off the shelf are going to be modern New York. But what New York in 1890, mm. you've got to kind of build that from scratch. So it just takes a lot more time and energy. So that okay. that has a lot to do with it. And, you know, a lot of movies like action movies, you know, movies with a lot of CG, you're just going to end up really spending a lot more time creating things on your own rather than pulling something from a library or just, Oh, you know, it's like uh, your standard, like comedy, you know, we just had a, a comedy at South by Southwest. It, you know, it's like very normal. It's set in today. It's, yeah. you know, normal neighborhood sounds, normal, you know, it's all just What's normal that? stuff. So, what film was that you're talking about? It was, oh, it's called I Love My Dad. It won the Grand Jury Prize. Okay, awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah, very cool. It has uh, Patton Oswalt. He, Patton, <laughs> Oswalt, Patton Oswalt plays a dad who catfishes his son. He pretends to be a girl on Facebook and <laughs> oh, catfishes dude. him. It's amazing. They're estranged. 
and then it kind of goes down a very dark, very <laughs> disturbing path that involves sexting, and uh, yeah, it's it's wild. But it was a crowd pleaser. It won the Grand Jury Prize, and then it won the Audience Award. So, oh, that's great, man! Awesome. Yeah. Uh, but but a movie like that, and it, you know, it's it's not. There's a big difference in what it, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like there's things, you know, it wasn't a, a a dead simple movie. There was things with technology in that. You know, there are things we had to kind of shape scenes where they're typing all the time. So you got to try to make it interesting and make it help help the audience understand who's saying what and things like that. So it wasn't 100 percent straightforward. But, yeah, it's not anything like recreating New York in 1890. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's fascinating. And you mentioned that earlier, like just the little things like a key, like typing on a keyboard or footsteps, because the way you're typing you know, the way you're walking, that is actually expressing emotion and can express right, things. Right. And you don't, I don't think you would even think of that unless you were doing that and putting it to the film. It's, it's really an interesting um, art that's happening there, you know? Yeah. Um, it is like, it is the real magic of movies in that, you know, I have, a, I, here in LA, we have the Magic Castle. I actually know a lot of magicians, like real life, really great, like world class magicians. And, you know, once you understand to un start to understand magic, what you realize is like, mm -hmm. oh, it it's dealing with the gaps in perception. And that's the that's the trick. Right. Is that like once you learn to move your your hands move faster than someone can see, then there's a whole lot of things you can do. And that really does feel like magic because you're hacking the person's perception. You know, sound in movies is a perceptual hack. It really is. And like they put people in MRI machines like they see that, like. If you take if you take a an image on a movie screen and play it for someone, it activates, you know, it activates the intellectual part of their brain. But when you add the sound to it, it activates the parts of your brain that are essentially experiencing real life. So your brain is being completely tricked by sound and image put together mm. in, in, that the subconscious part of your brain is believing that it's experiencing a real experience. And that's why that's the magic of movies and and sound like literally is what activates that part of your brain. And then, you know, the thing about sound in movies is that it's almost all constructed. Like I said, it's like we use the dialogue and that's about it. Everything else is made after the fact in the studio. So it's a complete manipulation. Yeah. And yet because our perception is sort of hackable in this way, it's like, oh, as soon as you put sound in the image, you just believe that that's the thing you're experiencing and you don't question it. It gives us this opportunity to kind of play in the subconscious. And right, so right. when you're being really creative and thoughtful, you know, you're you're servicing the needs of the movie and what and what makes it just work, you know, in a utilitarian way. But by making these choices creatively, you can do really interesting things to someone's emotions or you know, just how they experience any given moment based on the kinds of sounds you use. And then if you bring the kind of musical perception, sort of like the, you know, why do, why do plagal cadences feel the way they feel? Why does right, one, four, right. five feel the way it feels like we know we have these like completely animal responses to sounds that progress in certain ways. Well, all that stuff's active in sound design in a movie. You know, right. like and and it, over a career, just like you can learn to play, you know, play a guitar in a way that it evokes something emotionally. 
I, I can do the same thing having worked for so many years with wind in a movie or the way a car engine sounds like all these things still have those musical elements operating, you know, like it's all there. The, the one, four, five is still there. You can activate someone emotionally in the same way that music works. And, you know, over a career of doing this, you really start to find ways go doing movie after movie after movie of like, Oh, I, I see how I can make a scene feel this way or feel that way. Much in the same way, when you write a song, you learn like, Oh, if I use this instrumentation or if I, if I make the guitar tone this way, it evokes a certain sort of feeling. All that's still available in a movie with, with the way the footsteps are yeah. or whatever. So that's fascinating that to me, it's like a lot of times I'll use, you know, I talk about music as a mathematical language and you think right. of like, there's still now you're talking about raw sound, right? And you're, we're still looking at it as well. No, there's a, for lack of a better word, a mathematical way. These things hit us. And we, and right. over time, just like one, four fives and writing it, like I know that these sounds in this manner are going to evoke this, and and you, yeah, that's right. really fascinating, man, to think of it in those exact same terms, right, um, right, and that's yeah, really interesting. Um, I mean, the real trick is you don't have the like system, you know what I mean? Like in music, yeah, 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 right. yeah. It's like music. It's how do you explain? How do you explain? Like, uh, yeah, you're you're. you're your wind is the tonic. No, like right, how do you explain right. it? Right. There's exactly. no, there's no relationship that's like physically there with, with the alphabet of music. Exactly. So that's, you know, cause, cause ultimately music is like, cause I, I think that's like, a, it, I, sometimes when I'm teaching, like suddenly someone will have this realization of like, Oh wait, music is just frequencies with like, uh, with like a template on top of it for like organizing right. them, you know? Correct. And I think sometimes yeah. people can spend their whole like young life, like, playing music and it never occurs to them it was like oh this is like a this is like a, a a architecture on top of this because we know that then we can make predict make it react in and 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 evoke in in uh typical ways so you know it's like that's one of the real tricks with i mean my my goal here is that i really want i'm really thinking in terms of the future of what i'm trying to do you know it's tricky because if you're like a guitar teacher, you can like you have this architecture you can like use to be able to say like, OK, this is how this is how I would play this or play that. And so oftentimes with like it's like you're trying to teach someone a feel. It's all it's like a fretless bass. You know, you're like, yeah, it's yeah. all about feel. And so oftentimes when I'm I, I really gravitate towards working with younger people because i think i like how open they are whereas like a lot of times once you get like further along people are really rigid in the way they think about this work and you know i really want to inspire the 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 people that work here with me to like be you know to to really embrace some of these ideas and the way of approaching this and this kind of like you know how do you it, it's not like here's how it should feel it's like teaching them to learn to be open and to kind of be sensitive and be empathic about the material. So mm -hmm. it's like, you're, you know, it, it, and a lot of times it does it sit down and be like, okay, here's the choice you made. And it's, it, it's perfectly fine. Like that, that ambient sound sounds fine. Here's the choice I made. And they'll listen to that and they'll be like, Oh, their lives will bright up. They're like, Oh yeah, there's something happening there. They immediately feel it. You know, mm -hmm. it's just like in a, 
It's just like in a pop song when you immediately have that feeling. Um, and so, you know, in a way, you just have to show the choice, you know, and then they start to understand in a way they're just trying to seek out a feeling. So you got to activate that part of them that's being that's not intellectualizing it. It's the part of them that's feeling it. And and so when you're going through and choosing a wind sound for a scene, you have to kind of not just be like think like thinking totally logically. You got to like feel it out, you know, and that is a very musical way to approach it. You know, yeah. and it's like, well, yeah, what's yeah. the one that makes you feel what what do you think the scene should feel like probably is first and then you know, open yourself up in that way so that as you're listening through all your options, what's the one that kind of activates you? You know, to me, it's like you, like as the teacher student sort of relationship there makes kind of makes me again, we're kind of bringing things back to the musical world. That makes sense to me. Like that's why young artists or any artist for that matter, you know, that's why you have a producer, right? You have right. someone that's yeah, yeah. Got an, an idea and an experience and a vision mm -hmm. and, and can kind of, craft this thing in that bigger way than just you going and now i play this chord on my guitar no no let's use this yeah, guitar let's yeah, do this yeah, let's make yeah because you're trying to go for an overall vibe right right, right. but well, it's that's interesting I, i've never scene thought of scene. it i've never thought of it in that way yeah i would say like and that's when i say sound designer this is one of the my things that i've been like writing about i've written some articles about this and stuff it's like to me sound designer isn't like a literal thing it's that it's like it's this like what it how does the sound in the movie feel from start to finish how do you create a feeling and an approach and a you know uh and sometimes it's an environment sometimes it's a space but how are you kind of bringing that through the whole thing and i often equate that to like production designer in a movie like they figure out what the movie looks like and it's aesthetic of course yeah, right yeah, exactly. exactly and they're like yeah, of course there's painting and choosing locations and like props. And there's all these like practical parts of that. But ultimately it's like, it's, it's a larger conversation with the work and creatively that all these different parts come into play in serving that, you know, that overarching kind of vision. And I, that's interesting. I never thought about that because that's like the producer role in music, right? Is like, they're the person that's there kind of like providing that kind of like, uh, macro view of the process right. and kind of guiding it. And that, and I think that's probably a great analogy for a sound designer in the way I see it. Yeah. It's so cool, man, because like sound designer is just not a term like Foley or something. I mean, you know, like yeah. you're just, you see these kind of credits, but if you don't work in that or you're not a little more hip, you know, to what that means, you, you don't really. And so it's really cool talking to you and like really getting a sense of what that means and what you do and what that job entails and all like anything, right? The more you dive into it, you kind of, you know, you get into the inner workings and realize it's it's not like one guy that's sitting around going like, and now I'm gonna, you know, scrunch some popcorn and there's a sound. No, there's like this huge, vast, you know, thing that that goes into this, right? And yeah, all, and it, yeah. to me, like, it's really interesting equating all these things kind of in a musical context yeah, and thinking yeah. like, okay, so it's like, yeah, you got your stems, almost like your instruments, but your, yeah, yeah. your sound effects, your, your dialogue, yeah. your, you yeah, know, and all yeah. those kind of things. And, and seeing how that all comes together as one facet, right? Just that's one facet. That's the yeah. thing that always fascinates me about movies and music. You're dealing with this one aural thing, right? Yeah. And film, I mean, you're, that's one facet of this 
even right, bigger thing where right, you have right. the overall macro director guy yeah, or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wild. I, I think directing a movie seems impossible, you know? Like, And I've been around movies now for over a decade. It's like the, that's like the hardest job, like being the movie director, because of what you said. It's like there's so many elements to it, you know, it's it's a really right. movie making is a remarkable, insane way to make anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, like, oh, dude, it's kind of amazing ima- that movies ever yeah. like it this, this even exists. Like, how is this even possible? You know, it's, it's I, amazing. To, to just a song or an album. I'm like, oh, my God, this is I mean, I think like my friends and stuff who work on short films or in film in any capacity. Yeah. I'm like, eh, it's just so next level. There's just so many working components and so many people involved in so many things that, yeah. yeah. So yeah, to be the, pro- I wouldn't want to be the project manager. On yeah. Any of that. So, you know, <laughs> the, there, there's you know. another, there's another way to look at it though, too, which is like, I have a lot of respect for, you know, I was a musician and I, I, I wish I was more of a musician these days. You always like, I feel like this is so many people in post are like, Oh yeah, I'm going to get into this. I can build studios and then I'll be able to make more of my own music. I don't ever make any music anymore because it's like totally, yeah, yeah, it's the cobbler's children have no shoes. It's like, if I'm like dealing with sound all day long, the last thing I want to do is like record music at night. But I know know guys that had like recording studios and stuff and engineering bands and they're just like, yeah, exactly. I listen to NPR. I don't want to freaking listen to music at the end of the day. (laughs) Exactly. The, and the, um, but what I will say is, you know, one of the things about working in movies is that you are given the material in a way, you know what I mean? Like right. the movie is the thing. And, and so in that way, while you, you know, while it, it is so incredibly sophisticated and technical and it, it's, it's a really amazing process, you, you know, there, a singer or a, I mean, a songwriter a musician that has to go sit in a room or like stare at pro tools or, you know, or pick up a guitar and find some way to be expressive. And the same with a screenwriter, right? You're pulling something out of thin air. Whereas you're like, okay, exactly. There's this thing that existed. Now it's my job to make this aspect of that thing come alive. Right. 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 You know, so that's, so that's really like, you know, I never have that feeling of like, what am I going to do here? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I always, it's like, Oh, here's the thing. And, you know, I can bring my creativity and my, you know, everything that I have and my experience and it to it. And it's so great, but it's it's not like an empty page. And so, you know, so it's like music is really useful because I think we share the same tools. We share a lot of the same kind of approaches and 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 it feels the same when it's right. It feels the same. So it is useful. But. I do have a lot of respect for, you know, what it must be to be Radiohead and like make a, and make OK Computer like ha- that because that's just a blank thing, you know, <laughs> like that was nothing. And then it existed. Whereas like every movie I've ever done is like, oh, no, here's the container. Now you get to fill it up sonically, you know, so, right. <laughs> so I do have a lot of respect for the musical side of it. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's definitely four guys standing around with their instruments, looking at it. And they're like, what do we exactly. do? I don't know. I've, Let's do I've some drugs. There. And then I've been there. <laughs> right, right. we got to get out of this goddamn basement, you know? And for whatever reason, I make them have a terrible English accent, but Hey, where are you from by the way? Cause it's not England. I'm assuming where, where no, are you originally no. from? I, I, I grew up in rural Illinois. So outside of St. Louis. Okay. Yeah. So that, yeah. 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 Uh, Oh yeah. And you were talking about St. Louis and kind of yeah. stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. I lived there for, 
And you've been in L.A. now, I guess bouncing back and forth, but you've been in L.A. for Yeah, I've been in L.A. almost 15 years. So this is my And you're in Burbank. Is that you live in Burbank as well? I did. I actually just recently moved out further out in Woodland Hills, Calabasas area. But I oh man, uh, the uh, that's the that's the scorcher zone. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's gets yeah. hot out there. The whole it? valley is pretty hot. The valley, uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, but I'm here in Burbank. This is where the studio is. So right on. Yeah. Um, Burbank, media capital of the world. That's what they call Burbank. I'll tell you a one little final story. It's kind of funny about that. If you come into the Burbank Airport here. Um, it says that media capital of the world. And it's really, that, that sounds airport, funny. Oh, yeah, it's the best. It's the best. You just walk out on the tarmac. Yes. But uh, the, the, but it, and I, when I first saw that, I was like, oh, that's silly. But then I was like, well, actually, Disney is here and Warner Brothers is here. And basically half the sound studios in LA are here in Burbank. And, you know, and it's like, so it, it is actually probably the media capital of the world, this little, little tiny town here, you know, north of L.A. But um, to sort of prove that, when I went to build the studio here, I was going through all the zoning stuff, you know, to, like, figure it out. It's quite a process. Red tape. It's insane. It takes, like, a year. In the zoning documents of Burbank, California, it it talks about Foley Studios. It talks about mixed stages. Oh, wow. yeah, There's so yeah. many Foley Studios in, in Burbank that, that you know, they're, like, talking about parking and how many parking spaces. It's like, oh, a Foley Studio of this square footage should have this many parking spaces. I was like, yeah, this is probably the only municipality <laughs> in the whole world that has the word Foley Studio in its zoning document. So, you know, pretty amazing. Let's, let's, let's do some research, Vic. Let's see if there's any Foley. We got any Foley Studio zoning issues in Austin. Yeah, well, probably these days. Yeah, Austin's pretty hip now. One. There's yeah, a lot of yeah. shit going on. but yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, earlier when we were talking, I, and I had mentioned that, uh, what the hell were Oh, God, I was in my brain a second ago. Oh, about that 20-year-old, though. The original Roland, I was like, oh, I remember that from kind of the yeah. early 2000s, yeah. the big yeah. 20, the, the rehearsal space I was talking about was that there's rehearsal spaces right across the street from the Burbank airport. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I actually yeah. used to live, like, way back, I used to live in, like, uh, North Hollywood off oh, of, yeah. uh, like, Burbank and Laurel Canyon, and oh, so yeah. it's really just a hop and a skip. I would shoot over there. I was always in that area, man, because it's yeah, not yeah. far at all to Burbank from there. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right there. I lived in North Hollywood for years. I, I yeah, yeah. there for years. So, yeah, you're you're right here in the stomping grounds. But you're right. Burbank is kind of its own little thing over there, though. And it's, yeah. it is kind of cool because you're just like, oh, yeah, there's Warner Brothers now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's wild. It's wild. Yeah, Look at all those Foley's. Like, they're everywhere. <laughs> I know. There's Foley happening all over. It's Foley wild. everywhere. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, basically they invented sound for movies right here. This, this yeah. little part of, of Burbank is um, Magnolia and Victory. I mean, yeah. they call this Audio Alley because this was where all the way back into the early, early days, this is where a lot of the first studios were right here, here and then over on Seward Street and down in Hollywood. But a lot mm. of the early studios were over here. So, yeah, it's cool. I wonder if how much of that are even original. I don't know if any of that's original. They've been built bigger and better, I'm assuming. But the, yeah. the same general area of vicinity has always been Burbank for yeah, a lot of that yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Walt Disney Studios has been, you know, it's all completely rebuilt. No, some of yeah. Warner still has a lot of the, you know, there's a lot of the old buildings around over there. Um, but, you know, like this building we're in, this was like, uh, this was all aerospace over here in Burbank. So a lot of these, 
Burbank Boulevard and Victory and then going down south to Victory down towards Griffith Park. You know, there's a lot of these. This was just like a, you know, basically a, a one of these kind of aircraft hangar style warehouse spaces. And there were, yeah, a, I mean, you know, I remember there was a lot of kind of like, like I, I felt like there was just this little gap. I felt like it was Van Owen or something, right? Yeah, like yeah. Above Victory. But there yeah. wasn't a lot, right? It was like all yeah. of a sudden you're in North Hollywood and you kind of drive down that and then it takes you to Burbank. But there was, yeah. like you said, a lot of just like hangars and spaces and stuff. Yeah, there, right? yeah. Is that- this, is, this is where a lot of aerospace was back in like World War II era. So okay. there were a lot of like airplane parts factories all through this part of Burbank. It was That's where they were the- actually inventing all this shit for war back then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Yeah, pretty wild. Um, dude, uh, crazy. What kind of beer are you drinking? I'm always curious about. Oh, I'm drinking mundane. Peroni. Because oh, I we love had that a, beer. Yeah, it's a great one. We had a little party, a kickoff party for our um, this movie we're doing, this big movie, and it's half shot in Italy, so we had Peroni. We got a bunch ah. of Peroni for the party, so I've been. Are you, is this a movie that you're not allowed to say yet because oh, it's I can, a new no, thing? No, it's called Cabrini. Um, okay. and it's, um, it's been announced it's around, it's been shot okay. and it's been in the trades. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're working on that for the next few months. So what yeah, you were saying really earlier cool. too, man, when it cut, it's so weird nowadays because it doesn't matter. It seems like there's the big action hero, the superhero Avengers stuff is huge and that's in the theaters and there's these, yeah, there's yeah. these still these mega, you know, blockbuster type, but it's not what it used to be where everything yeah. kind of comes out in a theater and stays and hangs for a while. Yeah, Even Academy yeah. Awards. You know, it just happened and it's right. just like, oh, I've never heard of these. And I'm like, oh, it's already on this. And so, yeah, you know, you can yeah, already accept exactly. it. You can already find it on streaming services. So yeah. I feel like nowadays it's, you know, when you, there's there's uh, less of a gap between, you know, some big feature uh, release and an indie film yeah. because yeah. they're all kind of a lot of them are coming out about the same time streaming. Right. Immediately yeah, accessible. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, it's, I think it's a big question, like what where this is all headed now after the pandemic and like what it. You know, what is the role of movie theaters and are people going to come back to the theaters? I mean, I think I hope people so. Are still, There's something cool yeah, about it, man. You yeah, know, I, I think experience. they will. I think people are still a little skittish, but I think in the next few months and they're already starting to get better numbers. You know, people are coming out. Um, so I hope so. I love I love the movie experience, but I'll always know, go just for popcorn anyway, man. You know, yeah, we got about movie theater popcorn. That's Even though you're like we got here a billion dollars on it, it's so stupid. Yeah, yeah. But. We got a movie popcorn machine here at the studio, so when we, we oh, do screenings, yeah, that's the nice. best, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like you're watching the movie. Like I would just be eating popcorn all the time. I could, yeah, yeah. The studio, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's great. Yeah, and that's nice. I mean, one of the nice things about owning your own like sound mixing stages is like i have a movie theater that i can just go watch movies in so that's pretty nice which makes and now sense that yeah. things are on yeah. streaming it's like a lot better like i could watch dune in there and it was dude you have a movie great. theater that's a business <laughs> expense you're like yeah, no yeah, dude, exactly, exactly i have to watch movies and i have to have this popcorn machine i'm yeah, sorry it's, it's a write-off all it was all that was all written off Absolutely. <laughs> That's an amazing job right there. I don't think it gets a sound designer. Look at that. What a great job, man. <laughs> Build your own movie theater and it's a tax write off. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Popcorn perfect. machine. So last question, I yeah. think. Well, no, no, I actually have a couple like. Yeah. I'm curious about like if you have any uh, particular, I'm sure you do, just, uh, I mean, how does that work in the industry? Are there got sound designer guys that you're like, oh, this is the dude, like you were saying, you know, oh, yeah, this yeah. one like legendary, this Foley guy, these just these guys that have been doing it and they're great. So I guess yeah. in the inner circles, there's like, the, this is the guy and oh my gosh, that dude. And you've got those kind yeah, of guys, but the yeah. average person, 
wouldn't probably know those names like we would yeah. know the names of directors and actors and yeah. stuff obviously but yeah there's a what few are some are... influences for you just either in that or a directorial department or just some of the, the people that yeah. you worked with or aspire to work with yeah i mean there's like the there's some real you know there's some people that have kind of crossed over into like being semi-famous the most one of the most famous is ben burt who did the star mm. wars movies yeah. some people mm-hmm. recognize you know that name and Ben's, Ben Burt's an amazing inspiration to everybody who does sound for movies. You know, he's a, he's an incredible um, creative and also very humble and very, like, gracious person in the industry. So, it's always um, good to know. you know, there's an, another another one that's really well known and that I really love a lot of his work is Walter Murch. And Walter Murch is sort of famous for he worked with Coppola. He did Apocalypse Now. He did the Godfather movies, which have some credible sound in them. Um, he did. He did. Uh, I don't know. A movie you may not have seen George Lucas's first movie, THX 1138. Have you ever seen that? I've heard of that. I don't. Yeah, think it's, I've seen it's it. great. There's a great there's a great they retransferred it a few years ago and it looks really good. It's definitely worth checking out. Um, he did the he did the sound design for that. Uh, Alan Splett is an inspiration. He's known for he did Eraserhead. He did a lot of um, oh, did a lot okay. of David Lynch's movies. Most of them ah. before he died. Um, is a big inspiration. And you know, I mean, trying to think. I mean, like who who else I'm really inspired by these days? I mean, I think Denis Villeneuve did Dune. Obviously, most recently he did Arrival. He did. Um, he did the this remake of. Um, um, well, I mean, I, I don't know if you've seen Dune, but it just won the Academy Award. Incredible! Yeah, I was thinking sound, it, it won know? several Academy Awards. Oh, yeah, even yeah. just watching the clip, movie. I was just like, "Wow, man!" That yeah, is, yeah. That sound, everything about that movie looked extremely yeah. and sounded yeah. extremely impressive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm loving everything that he's doing. You know, I mean, I think that it, I. It, it's interesting. Like I try to, I try to enjoy movie. Like I try, I really make an effort to not get too obsessed with like the as a movie watcher with mm-hmm. like really dissecting and really like thinking about the sound. Because I think the best movies you never think about the sound. They call sound the invisible art because when it's working sure. really well, you'd never think about it. And I actually like. I'm really. I, I really try to make sound that's like that, where it's not like trying to show off or really be something obvious. It's something it's that's like a just good extra. Working. There's nothing worse than an yeah. extra that's like <laughs> overacting in the background. You're like, right, exactly, please, exactly. You're an extra. Please stop right now. Right, You're horrible. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean that when when what we're doing is really working, it's it it's invisible. It's just working at the subliminal level. So you know, I I think. I mean, I think I was inspired by a lot of the things that every sound designer is inspired by is, you know, all the great, you know, great science fiction films, all the Star Wars films. Um, But, you know, another another um, movie that I love that is um, is Gravity is a great touchstone movie. I think you've ever seen that. Um, Is that um, with uh, George Clooney? Yeah, yeah. Am I wrong? In San Diego? Is that that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. It was an interesting film. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's so contingent on sound because there's not a lot of, a lot of that is just. Yeah. uh, The anticipation, the, uh, what's I'm looking at, right? Like you're, you're building all this tension through all these other things. Exactly. There is no dialogue a lot of times. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's very immersive. Um, 
you know, so that's that that's a that's that is a movie I think of immediately. That's like more recent movie that was really inspiring. Um, I think I I was just it's I I need this is one of these questions that I I, I get asked a lot, and I always be like, oh, you know what? Well, you know what, man? Thing? It's like I don't know if it's quite the same, but for me, if like someone asked me, who's your favorite guitar player? Who's your favorite band? I'm like, oh my god, dude, I can't answer right, that. Like, exactly. And then exactly. I or I hate like if I do like a print interview or something, and it's like, well, what's your? And I, I I I can't help myself. I have to list like you know 40 different people. right 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 exactly <laughs> then as soon as you um, submit it, you're like oh but i forgot this guy you, you know what's another great movie this is another walter merch movie the conversation have you ever seen the conversation <sighs> i don't think i have what if is you that? haven't seen it you should check it out it's um it's a it's basically a movie about it it's about a uh character it was it was directed by um coppola it's an early coppola movie um hmm. before the godfather and it's about a character that's like a surveillance guy. And so the movie's all kind of about, kind of about surveillance and uh, the main character, that's his job. And so the whole movie, revol it's kind of a mystery that unfolds, but it unfolds as like a guy through an experience of a guy who's hired to like do surveillance. And he's like tracking a woman who's maybe having an affair and you're not sure, but it's this incredible like, me this just all so beautifully crafted kind of like there's this opening scene where they're like doing this really sophisticated surveillance where like somebody's got a microphone on the roof listening and a guy's in the van and then there's a there's another guy walking past trying to hear the conversation of this couple in a park so you're getting little snippets of mm. the sound and it's kind of fading in and out and you know that's that's a that's an incredible movie and actually this movie i did for amazon the voyeurs we like we really tried to, in a way, kind of make a little bit of an homage to that movie through this movie because it was also like a surveillance movie. So that's a that's a like immediate touchstone movie for me that if you haven't seen, it's really worth checking out. It's also yeah. a great movie. The conversation, I definitely the want to see that one. Yeah. What yeah. are some like you mentioned the voyeur, the uh, wow, gosh, what was the Patton Oswalt one again? That just oh, uh, I love my awards. dad. I love, I love my, my dad. dad. Yeah. Um, and I had a, I had a couple here, but yeah. my, all my we, stuff is we dying. Did the movie um, Searching. I did a, I did a really cool movie a couple years ago called um, United Skates. That's this documentary about uh, African American roller skating culture. It's on HBO. That if you want to check that oof. out, it's a really cool. And that's a great movie. It, it's like documentary. We do quite a bit of documentary work. That movie, it's all roller skating, but because in the skating rinks, they're always playing pop music we couldn't use most of the recordings of the skating that were recorded during oh, the shooting wow. the documentary. So we actually had to go in and Foley all that skating through the whole movie. So all oh, the skating you're hearing was all created in post-production. Wow. Um, so, you know, it's a great example of like total movie magic that happens, that, you know, and it's cool. It, it totally works. It's very, it feels like it's the real skating, but yeah, you've got, I mean, your resume, man, let's see. I mean, am I right about, looks like about 150 different films yeah, there's that a bunch you've worked of on? There. Yeah. Uh, what is, uh, you've got an award, award nominee for, what is uh, FAMAS, F-A-M-A-S Awards? What is that? Oh, I don't know what that was. I don't know. Oh. I, 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 here's <laughs> okay. the thing. Like, I work in a lot of festival, I do a lot of festival movies, and sometimes movies, like, you know, they, like, some of these movies go to, like, 100 festivals. 
And ah, then sometimes right. you'll like get like a, you know, you'll like it's, you know, two years later, you'll like something you'll hear like, oh, I got an award for something. But it's like, yeah. You know, oh, I see. Right. After, a lot of these are, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, a couple know. of awards from various uh, film film quest. Uh, yeah. A couple of different. Yeah. Uh, looks like some festival type stuff. But. That's cool, man. This was really cool talking to you, Nathan. Thanks for doing this, man, because... Uh, yeah, right on. Yeah, yeah. I, I think... Super fascinating. Yeah, dude. And, like, again, like, sound designer is not something I read a little bit, and I was just, like, immediately pretty fascinated, because it's just such... Like you said, the it's like the... What did you say? The invisible... Uh, the invisible art. Yeah, the invisible art. Right, the invisible art. art. And it's exactly... It's You're not consciously... I mean, of course, we're hearing sounds, but... Sure, sure. You're not thinking about... All the little details you're hearing. Again, I'm coming back to the audio producing production yeah. thing. It's like yeah. all those little bells and whistles to me when I listen to stuff, especially with headphones or something. You just hear all these. What are we like? What hits you immediately? The groove, the beat, right? The rhythm, yeah. Yeah. The, the lyrics, right? The melody. But all, there's all this ear candy that's happening that's affecting you in ways you don't realize. It's kind of guiding you through the song, lifting you. And, yeah. and it, to me, it's like sound design seems to me in a cinematic way to be really kind of achieving the exact same thing yeah, uh, yeah. and i think that's fascinating man Vic, you started yeah, to say uh, something yeah. about dune i think were you going to say something about that have you seen that yeah no no i was saying that it was a great movie yeah i just won the academy that was fantastic it. yeah yeah it's really did it what uh, one best sound design did it i don't think it won um it did win best sound design yeah won a, it, it won several i think but yeah, yeah most really of the technical the stuff i think it won it won um one like uh visual effects oh it definitely did yeah definitely one visual so. effects a couple others yeah it's it's and music i think it, i think Hans zimmer got another oscar for the music he did you're right yeah you're absolutely right about that yeah oh but what else is Hans zimmer do you know <laughs> but does he have a uh, gladiator i think maybe oh man he's done so many all the nolan movies so many yeah it's wild What's your favorite food? I don't know why I always like to ask this question. Oh man, um, I love barbecue. A little, a little uh, uh, barbecue pork ribs. It's pretty hard to beat. Well, damn, dude! If you ever come to Texas, you gotta let us know. Well, uh, I, I I try to come sure down there the every right year. Treatment. I try to come down there every year for South by Southwest. I actually we we were like about ten years in a row we were down there, but um, we didn't make it this year because I was in the middle of getting ready for this next movie, but. I think we're going to try to come down and watch the F1 race there in this in, coming up. And, oh, man. My fiance yeah. is so excited about that. She's a big F1 fan. I've gotten yeah. more into F1 because of her. And, uh, yeah, Coda's pretty cool, dude. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, it looks like a good race. So, yeah. And they just announced there's going to be Vegas. So, next year. Oh, and, yeah? Wow. Yeah, like yesterday they announced it is going to be, uh, it's going to be on the Vegas Strip at night. Oh, wow. F1 cars. <laughs> Yeah, crazy. looks like uh, I've got my next Vegas trip planned. Yeah, exactly, now. exactly. <laughs> oh exactly. man, Sarah no, must know about this. I gotta enlighten her. Yeah, yeah, yeah dude. Exactly. Well, uh, uh, yeah. Best. Uh, is there anything? Okay, plug your stuff, dude. Maybe uh, your yeah. studio, your company again. Tell everybody. Yeah, my company's called This Is Sound Design. It's the website's tisd.tv. Um, yeah, check it out. Um, you can go onto the website. There's it talks about the the studios. Uh, there's actually some articles up there. I've recently written some articles. I wrote, wrote an article for Post Magazine and wrote an article for Movie Maker Magazine, actually about some of the stuff we talked about tonight. So check that out. Um, yeah, I just had this movie at South by Southwest. It'll be coming out. I Love My Dad. That's going to be coming up. I'm getting ready to start another one. I'm trying to think what recently is out. Check out The Voyeurs on Amazon, which is a cool 
uh, sexual thriller uh, starring Sydney Sweeney. Really good and really fun. Yeah, I mean, sexual. No. Yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> there's kinda, something. Kinda, um, <laughs> it's trying God to bring it, back the like erotic thriller. You know, erotic. I just let's just say erotic. Oh, there you go. Erotic. Yeah, yeah. Erotic, yeah, yeah. erotic yeah, yeah. novel. Erotic thriller. Yeah, yeah erotic thriller. <laughs> that's just so. the guy way of saying it. It's a sex movie or something. Yeah, yeah. So that's a great, uh, that's a good one to check out. Um, i trying to think if we've got anything. Yeah, I think we're in a little bit of a lull. We had a lot of, through. I mean, you know, if you go to the website, like, you can see there's probably like, there's links to like 20 movies there of, of recent stuff. Um, so oh, yeah. You got a lot. Yeah, the website's awesome because you have kind of the current, more recent stuff right there are top like you said there's articles and i saw you had a lot of different yep. articles online and then like you were saying earlier man it's really cool when you scroll down you get that 3d look at the studio that's killer man and it's so cool because yeah, you yeah. can see like you're actually like yes here's a big room you kind of get the sense of the different rooms designed yeah. specifically for environment yeah 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 so yeah the website's great and yeah you can reach reach out on there if you if you want to make some sound for a movie come come talk to us or maybe Vic and I will be in touch for our podcast so we don't have to edit ourselves anymore. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, we do that. We do. Uh, we edit podcasts for IMDb, actually. So they have a couple oh, really? of podcasts that we do. Yeah. yeah. And well, before Vic got on, right, because last thing is, um, wait, did you answer the food question? <laughs> yeah, he did. Did barbecue, I pork ribs. Oh, yeah, he said barbecue. Pork ribs. That's right. Yeah. That's got us on South by Southwest yeah, and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, oh, God, help Vic. Now I lost my train of thought. <laughs> the hell was I about were, to say? Were you going to oh, talk podcast. about podcasts? Yeah. Before, we were, we, before oh. you came on, you were talking about doing sound. Explain that again. That's fascinating. You're doing yeah, sound yeah. for podcasts. During pandemic, we, we did a, several of these. We, we've been working with Dick Wolf, who does like Law & Order, um, all the Law & Order in Chicago and all those shows. They did, a, they did a podcast series. We've done a couple of them with it now. One's called Hunted, and the other one's called Darkwoods. And they're like, it's like a, it's like a police procedural, like on, um, you know, like watching Law and Order, except that it's, uh, and these are both kind of manhunt type, you know, it's like a, it's like cops on the, on the hunt for like drug dealers type, type thing. But, uh, <laughs> but it's all sound. So it's basically like the old school radio play, like you were talking about earlier, but yeah. it's, it, you know, yeah. in, in the context of a podcast, but it's just a totally like fictional narrative like you know, watching an episode of TV, except you're just listening. So yeah, it's cool. It's a, it's That's really cool. interesting. Foley's a big part of that. So because we don't have any picture, so actually we do for for both those shows. They were both had a big outdoor component. Darkwoods is like all in the forest, like running around in the forest. So we uh, we did a lot of really cool Foley work where they would go out and actually do like long Foley takes of like a whole scene where characters are like walking and running through the woods. So the Foley artists would go out and just record like the whole scene all cause we don't have to synchronize it to picture. So they could just record the whole thing. So we're all ultimately <laughs> like building the whole experience out from nothing. So um, yeah, it's pretty, That's cool. pretty cool. And it's pretty fun. I, I think, I think um, we've actually gotten a lot of, a lot of people have really uh, excited about those podcasts because we're, you know, we work in movies, so we really bring that kind of like movie sound kind of depth and um, and, you know, fullness to this podcast thing. So whereas like some of the other ones are good story wise, but I always feel like sound wise, it always feels a little bit like NPR. You know, it's basically like, oh, it's just people talking, 
you know so we tried to bring something really really theatrical and cinematic to it so yeah it's worth checking out podcasting awesome man say the yeah. say the names of those one more time dark woods is one and um hunted hunted, hunted starred okay. parker posey if you know that actress oh yeah sure parker posey's a lot of the uh, uh, Christopher Guest stuff, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the most recent one, Dark Darkwoods, is Corey Stoll. I don't know if you know Corey Stoll. Sounds, He's been in a lot oh, of Oh, yeah. 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 I know that name. I just I just saw him. He was in... Um, oh, he was he like was the in... cop in West Side Story. I just saw him. Um, but he... Uh, he put, did you watch the Sopranos movie that came out a little while back? Yeah. He, he played a, Junior Soprano. Junior. Yeah, yeah Junior, Junior Soprano. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when we were recording Darkwoods, he said he, he was like, oh, yeah, I'm working on a Sopranos. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I was like, oh, you're Junior Soprano? <laughs> it was great in that that's movie. So cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he captured, he's, like, all the mannerisms and the, the voice inflection. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of, he's uh, he's uh, great. He was so, great. Yeah. yeah, he's he's in that. Some other cool actors, too. So, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cool. It's like, I'm kind of curious to see where that goes. It, 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 I don't think it's as big as talking podcast but i do think there is a kind of growing audience for that um for you know this kind of like fictional podcast radio play type yeah space, that's so. kind of cool man coming back it's interesting how things work circular like that you know like yeah, talking yeah. about the early radio and here we are you know in this podcast world with that coming back to that storytelling and that yeah manner. yeah yeah it's fascinating well, well cool, cool dude guys. um there was one other movie that I, I and I was reading actually the initial email I got and you of course mentioned I, I love my dad but then Crows are White was that a new oh, one a yeah. documentary that was, that was another was, uh, yeah that was stuff? another one oh yeah that I should have mentioned that that was another one we just had at South by Southwest right um, okay really interesting um, sort of like a journey of a it, it's it's the it's sort of a documentary where the director is kind of a big subject of the movie. Um, and it's kind of about his experience. He, 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 it initially starts that he's kind of going to, to learn about these like really hardcore Buddhist monks who do these like wild, almost like feats of strength type things where they'll like stay awake for 60 days. Or like the, the big thing they do is that like someone will walk for seven years, like the equivalent of a, the entire circumference of the earth. And if they miss one day, then they have to kill themselves. You know, it's like really over the top stuff. Holy shit. I want to see this. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And, the, uh, but then through the course. So, but then what you find out through the movie is that actually he, he kind of grew up in Ireland, but through a Muslim family and that he's kind of grappling with his kind of experience in life as both a Muslim and He's he's married to a non-Muslim woman. And so and then in in the monastery, he he meets this monk who's sort of the black sheep of the monastery who, like, has an iPad and, like, loves speed metal <laughs> and is like all and just doesn't do any of the stuff he's supposed to do. And so they like and they become like close friends and they like, go to a Slayer concert together. And it like so it's really kind of about like an exploration of like faith and also like faith meeting real life and trying to square those things. It's, it's a really interesting, cool movie. Um, yeah. That, that's good. like you and me, Vic. It's like, Vic's like, <laughs> I'm going to like 
do jujitsu tournament. I'm I'm testing for a belt and I'm doing a strongman or not a strong and I'm flying to Hawaii to do a what are you doing? It this is amazing, dude. Like the uh, oh, Spartan race. Spartan oh, race. Oh whoa. That's and I'm wild. the guy that's like, let's dude, let's go to a clutch concert and get some pizza. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's a cool oh, movie. It's definitely it's definitely uh worth checking out. It has some beautiful music too. So and it'll be awesome, around. man. We're definitely gonna it'll be around. Yeah, yeah. Definitely gonna check out this stuff and um, looking forward to plugging it, man. Like this is just really been fascinating talking to you, Nathan. Thank you so much for making time. Yeah, right on, right on. Uh, and next time I'm in Austin, I'll reach out. I'll uh, I'll let you know. Dude, I'd love to come by when I'm in LA sometime too. If you're not yeah, busy, yeah, um, I know I'll be there anytime. for a short stint in June, so I might hit oh, you up. But definitely uh, come by, check out the studios. Yeah, I would I'd love, love to, to have man. You. I'd love to. Old stomping ground, sort of. <laughs> we'll have some popcorn. Oh, dude, I'm there. Oh, you, you messed up now. He's like, oh, I just said that. Fly in tomorrow. Nathan right, Rule, everybody. Dude, All thanks right. so much. This has been a blast. A uh, until next Appreciate time, it. hang out for just a sec, Nathan. This is yep. Manhattan and Victor Ramos, and we'll see you next time. Hey, folks, that concludes another episode of the podcast. Guest links will be available in the show notes. We'd like to thank our friends at Top Shelf Music for showcasing the podcast on their site. Be sure and check them out at topshelfmusicmag.com for the latest music news, reviews, and events. We'd also like to thank the folks over at Tragen Guitars, Goden Guitars, Ernie Ball Strings, and Five Iron Woodworks. Have a great week and catch you on the next one.